Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. This segment is brought to you by Jigmasters. Step up your game with high-quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from Jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out. Welcome to the Bass Kayak and Beer segment on the Paddle and Pin Network. It's your host, Armando Solan. And on this segment, we kick back with a special guest and talk about life, kayak fishing, and the pursuit of big bass. So get your cold brews on and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Bass Kayak and Beer segment on the Paddle and Fin podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We got a great episode to, for you today, but before we get started, quick thank you to Douglas Outdoors for sponsoring our show. Go to douglasoutdoors.com to check out their full lineup of LRS rods, X-Matrix, and the award-winning fly fishing rods, some of the best rods out there. Go check them out douglasoutdoors.com. So with me today is one of our new hosts on a new segment on the Paddle and Fin Network. And if I get his name right, it's going to be Brad Hollerboss. Did I get that correct? You had it real I mean, you had it close enough. I mean, close I enough. know what you were saying. Yeah. Hollerboss, <laughs> you're good. You're good. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good, man. Can't complain, can't complain. Thank you for joining me, taking time out to join us today for our our segment. It's an honor to have you on. Uh, like we we just mentioned, you're going to be one of our new hosts on a new segment of Paddle and Finn. We're kind of branching out. Now, we're not just about kayak fishing. We're also going to be having a segment dedicated to hunting. And your segment, if I'm not uh, if I'm not wrong, is it Feather and Fur, right? That's correct. Feather and fur. That's the new segment. Um, it's going to be good. I mean, I'm, I'm a kayak fisherman. I'm also a boat fisherman, but I do a lot of kayak fishing and I do a lot of kayak hunting, kayak duck hunting. I use my kayak to get to different spots to upland hunt. So that's kind of how I met Brian was through the kayak fishing side and just kind of expanded on from there. And this fall, he wanted something a little different for the OG show. So we brought on the hunt episodes which I was a co-host for, and that kind of rolled into me having my own segment, which is going to be bi-weekly called Feather and Fur. Yes, we're excited about that. I know I'm looking forward to it because um, there's not, I mean, there's not a lot of uh, podcasts out there about hunting. Maybe they are. Um, I just haven't 
look that all that much. But other than Stephen Brunella uh, of the Meat Eaters podcast and, you know, the whole network he has, he has a YouTube channel. Oh. He has, uh, I think it's on Netflix, his, uh, his uh, TV show. Meat Eaters. So, yeah, Meat Eaters, Stephen Brunella. Other than that, I really haven't seen a lot of podcasts dedicated to hunting. So I'm Good. excited to have you on board, man. It's going to be good. There's quite a few really good hunting podcasts that I do follow, like Project Upland. That's a mm -hmm. great one for upland hunting. Um, there, there's a few out there. I've got there's there's some big shoes out there which I'm going to have to try to fill. I mean, I, I want to make my way into the segment. I want to make my way into the community. It's nothing that I thought I would be doing. Uh, I never had a plan to start a podcast. It just kind of was just kind of developed from being a co-host to you should try your own segment. So. It's going to be awesome. How did you start it with uh, hunting, first of all? I took it up on my own. No one in my family hunted. No one did. So I was 21 at the time, renting a farmhouse. In the 21, 22, perfect party palace. I mean, we had 40 acres, a couple kegs, keggers every once a month. Um, but in fall, I'd always see the back corner of this field flooded. And there'd just be ducks falling into it and geese. I'm like, that looks like a good time. So I'm like, let's learn how to hunt. So I went and got my hunter safety. And my roommate at the time was like, I don't know how to waterfall hunt, but I can hunt. So we both got our license and we just went and sat on a tree line and waited for some geese to fly over. And we pass shot them, shot them as they flew overhead. And that's kind of what started it. I bought some really cheap decoys, some really cheap calls. And we were spoiled because they wanted to be in that field. And it gave us such a biased hunt because they wanted to be there. And they always say hunt the X. You always want to hunt where the birds are. But when you're hunting yep. completely unpressured birds on private land that you are the only one that has access for, they just come in without trying. So we got spoiled quickly. And it wasn't until about a year later we started to actually hunt public land where our eyes were just like saucers. Like, oh, this is what we're like. We don't know what we're doing anymore. Yeah, that's got to be exciting because I, I can see the difference between hunting in private land and hunting in public land. Being from Texas, there's not a lot of public land to hunt around here. I think I I saw or heard uh, the numbers. I think it's like 99% of the land in Texas is privately owned. I think 1% is actually public land. And a lot of it you can't even hunt. So it's... I can see how it can be so much more challenging. Now, I don't have the experience um, of hunting. Um, I would love to get into hunting. I was thinking about getting into hunting this season, but I really want to focus a little bit more on kayak fishing. There's a couple of techniques and a couple of things that I still feel like I want to figure out before I, you know, fill my daily schedule or my right. distractions with other things <laughs> other than kayak fishing. So, but it's definitely in the agenda for next year. And you and I talked that maybe I'll go up to there, Wisconsin. You can come down here to Texas, but definitely hunting is something that I'm like really interested in doing. Um, and it's cool that you started off just by yourself. Cause I mean, like fishing, most, not just guys, but nowadays girls too, you know, they're so involved in, in fishing and kayak fishing and hunting, but it's usually that, you know, generation you know hand-me-downs where your dad or your grandpa or close uncle will take you hunting or fishing and you learn from them but the fact that you just picked it up you know by yourself it's pretty cool man how 
did your father ever join you in hunting at any point? Was he around? Like, uh, tell us a little bit about that. My father had already passed before I took up hunting. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, I there's some things where I wish like my family did hunt. Like when I look at, like, I'm an, I'm an upland hunter by heart. I love to chase birds, especially grouse and woodcock. Those true up like majestic like woodland birds, and with that come a lot of like traditions from that sport. And one of them is fine shotguns. Like you see a lot of people carrying classic shotguns. I, I like part of me wishes I would have had a hand me down shotgun, like something that's got just a ton of meaning behind it, where yeah. it's like been it was my grandfather's and then it was my father's and now it's mine. Like I, I miss that I don't have that, but. I mean, don't get me wrong. I went and bought a beautiful 1984 Satori, which is just gorgeous. And it's got all this tradition piled up into it myself. But I, I, those are like, and then some of like the long traditions. I am thankful. I did get some mentors along the way. So one of my best friends, I wound up going, we wound up doing a duck camp, which really was the start of our grouse camp, which was the 10th year this year, 11th year this year, 11th year this year. But his father taught me a lot and and so did my buddy too. But like his father wound up being a mentor as well, especially when it came to a little bit of grouse hunting, but with deer hunting, like, and actually going up to their hunting camp with them for a few years and like seeing their traditions that really helped kind of fill that void. Like right now, when you look at yourself as a hunter, do you feel like there's a lot of more room that you need to eat? not necessarily improve, but like grow as a hunter or there's something out there that's driving you to learn or chase that you haven't done yet? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like fishing in that regard. I mean, you're trying new techniques. And then once you master those techniques, there's going to be different techniques you want to master, right? There's, It's not really techniques in hunting, but let's just pick on grouse hunting. I want to learn more about their habitat. I want to learn about the different the different different food they eat at different times of year. I want to learn at the different cover they choose for different times of year. So I can put that together to have a more effective hunt. I mean, there's just so much to learn, like just on the habitat side for those birds. And the same with like deer hunting with like patterning deer and like how they move um, their different bedding areas to where they're feeding, to what they're feeding on and how to effectively target them on public land. That's another big thing too. I mean, I'm not a huge deer hunter by heart. I'm I'd much rather watch my dog work in the woods or work in the field. But when I do go out deer hunting, I, I, like everyone, I want to be successful. And with that comes, you kind of have to put the knowledge behind it. So I'm always striving to learn more. Absolutely. I'm, I'm never, I don't know if you'll, I don't know if I'll ever be to the point where I'm like, you know what? There's nothing more I can learn. Cause I feel like every time I go out, I learn something. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Who's been your biggest influence outside of the your close nucleus, you know, your friends and your father's fr uh, friends of your father's? Anything, anybody out there? I don't know. Like, let's we we're just talking about that, like Stephen Vernella from Meat Eaters. Or anybody out there, any influencer or any big name hunter that's influenced how you approach hunting? 
Not specifically. I mean, there was a couple back in the day. Like when I first got into duck and goose, like waterfall hunting, ducks and geese, I watched a lot of the different movies out there. So I watched um oh, I can't remember his name, Sean Stalls. He had a bunch of he had a bunch of movies out there for goose hunting. And I and I would watch him not only for the entertainment, but I I'd really pick apart to try to figure out how he was calling. And then I would sit there and watch these movies with a call in my hand to try to mimic the calls he's making. Well, that didn't teach me when to use what call. It really taught me like what calls he uses in the field. Same with the zinc guys. I'd watch a ton of their duck hunting videos. And the same thing, I'd be sitting there watching movies, driving my driving my wife insane as I'm sitting there calling along with them, trying to like really work on like, wait, how'd they hit that note? Like, how, how did they do that? So I'd pause it, I'd rewind it, and I'd listen. I'd pause, I'd rewind, and I'd listen. And I'd sit there and I, I'd try to make it happen. So that was a big influence, just watching like, and like really picking them apart. Like, how do they set their decoys? Like, what type of like spread did they set their decoys in? Where were their layout binds in their field compared to those decoys? Like, a lot of people might watch those for just the entertainment value, and they're great. They're, they're they were very well produced movies, and I'm sure they still are making them. But I watched it for the educational side, where it's like, how did they set up? How are they calling? Like, what am I missing so I can get better at this without paying them to teach me? I bought that's their movie. Pretty, <laughs> that's my that's their guide fee. I bought their movie. <laughs> that's pretty good, right? I yeah. And nowadays with YouTube and everything, it's like you can learn so much now. And I'm sure, like, I know, like, fishing and kayak fishing. It's this deep rabbit hole, man. Where you, I mean, you don't just have to fish for bass. There's a in countless amount of species you can target. And even if you stick to bass fishing, which is usually what I talk about on this segment, there's, you know, hundreds of techniques and different ways to target bass fishing. So I would imagine hunting when you took out, took look about it in like the landscape of it, just every type of bird that you can go hunting for, um, you know, roaming animals, deer, you know, there's the, it's endless, like literally thousands of species and thousands of techniques for each one of them. Like it's got to be a, like a deep rabbit hole just to go out there in nature's groceries and just immerse yourself over it. I don't think anybody would ever stop learning from, you know, um, hunting. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. And then you can challenge yourself more. I mean, you can look at archery hunting. And then you can get even more challenging yes. with like with traditional archery hunting. And I mean, there's a little teaser. My first episode is with a very prominent traditional archery archery company, and they're going to be talking. We're going to be talking archery at close range, like a bear shot at 12 yards with a, with a recurve bow on the ground. In oh, my God. I will be nerve wracking. <laughs> That's what I said. I'm like, I'm like. I mean, at that point, I'm like, aren't you scared? And and his response was perfect. He's like, no, I'm the predator. I know, pray, me being prey never crossed my mind in that moment. I knew I was the predator. I knew I was going to shoot that bear. Never once got scared. That was the I perfect saw, response. Yeah, it is. It has to be. That has to be your mentality. I saw a video of uh, on YouTube um, about a uh, archer who got attacked by i think it was a grizzly bear he made it out obviously i don't think they would have put that video on youtube if it would have ended in carnage but it he had that moment where he i mean he just he kind of froze i guess i don't want uh, i don't want to dissect the video because i'm not a hunter much less an archer 
you know, archery hunting bears or grizzly bears. So who am I to dissect uh, and criticize or play armchair quarterback on a hunting video? But it definitely seemed from my perspective that there was that point of hesitation. It's like uh, your friend said, you know, on next episode is you got to have that mentality, I guess. Especially, when you're, especially when you're close range like that. I can't, yeah. I've never been 12 yards from a bear let alone on like right like having one small bush between us i mean in a tree stand they can climb don't get me wrong bears can climb yeah. fast too but at least you got some distance they have to cover yeah. there even if they're 12 yards away by the time they get the tree and they're scaling the tree i'm like you got you got a little time to react but to be on the ground 12 yards away from this bear that was feasting on blueberries just crazy like i i, I love i wish there was video to watch of that i mean that's talking about that's like all right i think i gotta go to alaska now that's <laughs> good and i actually was working on the artwork for that episode and that is not a small bear by any means Dude. i mean i'm not an expert at hunting like i said but that i was looking at that picture i'm like oh my god that is a huge bear that it's he got, just got on arch it's got some big paws and once that's released and that people are able to go take a pick, pick at that take a look at the bear's nose he, he brought yeah. this up too you can see it's blue from all the berries it was eating. Definitely. Alaska. That's the last episode I actually saw on Stephen Brunello's Meat Eaters, him hunting black bears in Alaska. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah. Cool, I, I haven't seen that episode. Um, I'm pretty far behind on the Meat Eater stuff. I've been, I've been trying to stay off TV. I've been trying to just focus on me and the dog and just try to watch less TV type of stuff. So. Oh, especially YouTube, man. Like I, I grab my phone to do actually productive stuff. And then I go to YouTube, open that rabbit hole. And 30 minutes later, I'm still watching videos and I haven't gotten nothing done. So it's, you got to set a timer on it, man, because it can be very addicting. Pretty much. I do catch myself occasionally, though, on the Instagram reels on the hunting side, watching yes. the, 10 second, the, 10, the best 10 seconds of everybody's clips. I'm like... Oh man, I could do this for a long time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so tell us, Brad, a little bit about your segment. Um, starting with the first episode, you touch on it a little bit, but what can people expect for your next episode? It airs Friday, this Friday, right? I think it's going to be the 22nd or the uh, 21st. That's, that's correct. I don't know the official date. I probably should know that it's my segment and everything, but it's Friday. <laughs> Friday the 22nd at noon is, is the right. it releases then. And uh, what's going to be the first episode? Who's going to be your guest and what are you going to be talking about? I know you mentioned it, but yep. a little bit more into details. The first episode is with Jonathan Karch of Three Rivers Archery, and we're talking traditional archery. Um, Three Rivers Archery is the world's leader in traditional archery supplies, from long blows to recurve bows to bow fishing to primitive boat archery to modern traditional archery using some modern components with different types of metals and wood rather than just being only wood um you search traditional archery you'll run into three rivers and i've known him since i don't know 2008 2007 so it was real fun to get a chance to talk to him again and see how he's grown with that company he's now the president that he just took over as president of the company and it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's at, I mean, we're talking traditional archery, so up close, personal, deer, bear, Alaska, hogs in Texas, hogs in Florida. Um, we didn't get a chance to touch on bow fishing, so I'll probably have to bring them back. But my next bow fishing setup for my kayak will absolutely be a traditional a traditional archery setup. 
And moving on from that, what can people expect, not just for this episode we just covered, but also beyond? Pretty much, I want the field to not be interviews. I want the field to be like you're at hunting camp sitting around the fire and we're telling stories. Um, there'll probably be some product review stuff. I mean, we're going to talk different different products, obviously, especially of different people on with what they prefer to use for products. And there's the pro staff side of everything, obviously. I mean, but I want it to be a really comfortable feel. I don't want it to feel like an interview. I just want it to feel like two people sitting around the fire and you're there with us and we're having some beers or some whiskey or some bourbon. I mean, if it's fall and the Northwoods, it's bourbon. It's just how it goes at Grouse Camp. <laughs> As well as should, right? Um, but I mean, next the next episode i've got lined up an excellent female archery hunter from wisconsin and we're going to talk about her buck hunting this year and she got an amazing buck and she's an established fisher fisherwoman as well so we'll talk about her in the outdoors and some of the struggles that she's seen being a woman in the outdoors and some other struggles along those lines and um turkey hunting is going to be coming up so i've got a I'm, not a hundred percent confirmed, but I'm pretty sure I got a couple guides for Wisconsin lined up that are going to come on and talk turkey hunting and different techniques with us. Um, I've already reached out to a couple of different dog trainers I know to talk about different dog training techniques. So as we get into summer, when people with duck dogs and upland dogs are really starting to think about getting into dog training, or the ones thinking about just getting a dog, some of the pitfalls that I've found, and then some, especially with some of the trainers that have far more experience than me, the pit, the common pitfalls they see and like different experiences they had so kind of transition in summertime to probably uh more dog training more working your dogs like for exercise wise probably throw a little bow fishing in in there as well just eh, not really hunting but you're using a bow and it's summertime that's what we do it's a different way to approach <laughs> to me it's hunting right. right i mean at that point i'm hunting carp with, a, yeah. with an arrow and a stick so yeah that's pretty cool um that the dog episode has got to be really intrigued i think that's going to be pretty cool pretty eye-opening because i've always admired that you know just the training um and having that companion you know because to me i'm i'm a dog lover like most people out there you know and just to have you know be able to enjoy your passion with you know your best buddy kind of thing it's oh, got to be pretty cool absolutely i mean my girl is absolutely my i mean she's my world there's no doubt about that i mean there's there's just no doubt in my mind that i mean she right there i mean there she is there you go what's her name that hers she's pippa that's pippa jean right there and that's my 1984 story i was talking about i'm kind of oh, fond nice. of her. i'm kind of fond of her too <laughs> <laughs> but nice. no, that, that's my girl i love her to death um she's a little crazy she's a little cranky at times i rescued her at six years old actually so oh wow. I, i've only had her for almost three years i've only had her for about three years now so that came with all of its own challenges and training because she had some hunting experience but she needed a lot of basic obedience again and she needed to get that confidence back and we're still working on that confidence in the woods on her trying to trying to figure out the grouse game, especially because grouse are just a really tricky bird for dogs. They don't like, they, they don't like a lot of pressure, but at the same time they'll run or if they get too much pressure, they'll fly and you're not anywhere close to them. So they're a tricky bird and she's, she's figuring it out. She's doing good for being nine years old. I mean, I'm absolutely proud of her. Did you train her yourself or you 
actually um, hired somebody to train her. She had a little training when I got her, but everything else was all on me. Uh, I did not use a professional trainer. I just kind of reinforced what she already knew. And I just went off the fact that she's a six and a half year old dog. And I'm a, it's, she's never going to be the perfect NAVDA star. It's just not North American versatile hunting dog association. What's a a lot of people train to those standards. Um, it's an amazing organization. And if you are looking at training an upland dog, I highly suggest reaching out to your local chapter, getting to know them as they, and if you're training your dog yourself, they are one of the best tools you can have. Cause it's a group of people, men and women that train their own dogs. And with that, you get different levels of experience from champion dogs to people that have no experience and everything in between so as you run into a pitfall like my dog's doing this i don't know how to fix it someone there probably has already seen it and they can help walk you through it and not only that but you get all the camaraderie of having a big group of people together and on the retriever side you have hunting retrieving clubs which are the same thing but they focus on the retrieving breeds rather than the upland pointing dogs retrieving dog versatile dog well, and I'll touch on all of that in gr way greater detail once I get that dog episode up and running for sure. Yeah, that's pretty interesting because you think of dog hunting, but maybe like the the what you usually see on like, you know, even cartoons or TV shows or TV movies, which is the dog fetching a dead dog. But there's a lot more, you know, like you said, there's some for pointing, there's some for... Uh, you know what we just talked about the dogs that are retrievers so yeah. it's really cool how each you know there's it's another rabbit hole right there that you can oh, spend uh, hours talking about oh absolutely i'll probably break those episodes apart and talk retrievers on one and versatile dogs on the other and i i really don't want to say it that way but you have your hunting retrieving clubs which really focus on retrievers i mean they're duck dogs first but they also hunt upland birds amazingly. I'm not going to, my lab was a phenomenal upland dog. I trained him with an HRC um, and he just never was as steady as I wanted in a duck hunting blind, but his upland passion was so great. He drove me to wanting to be an upland hunter and really ignited my passion for upland, which is what I truly love now. I love chasing those upland birds more than everything. And I, I owe that all to that lab being slightly impatient, but just, being one of the best dogs I've ever been behind in the grouse woods. I mean, he was just phenomenal. He was had a great nose and he just could figure out those grouse and just make them fly where he wanted. He's almost like he could figure out where they were and push them in the right direction to get him to fly. He was just amazing to watch. That's awesome, man. So other than hunting, cause I know we can go down this rabbit hole, but you also a very accomplished kayak fisherman, right? accomplished might be a strong word i think my best yeah. tournament i think my best tournament finish was like nine out of 18 like a 35th on like a regional level tournament but yeah i mean i i do quite a bit of kayak fishing i do quite a bit of boat tournament fishing as well um i do a weeknight boat league in the madison area madison wisconsin that's where i reside and we have a week weeknight lead with madison with madison bass club so that's every wednesday night in starting may through august i'm running a new canoe pursuit um couple different ways to, I'm, I'm not using a bow mount trolling motor that'll probably have that'll happen this spring it's just going to happen um but i really wanted it for the paddle for the 
for the pedal ability of it because I take it with my camper. So paddle ability. I don't have the drive either. Holy cow, I can't talk tonight. I wanted a good <laughs> I wanted a good paddling kayak that was stable enough that I could run a mud motor on. So I have a three horsepower mud motor that I slap on the back for duck hunting and other different type of hunting activities. So I needed something with a flat back, which also could paddle really, really well. Cause I didn't want to mess around taking a motor with when I'm towing my camper and my yeah. wife want to go out and I'll go out fishing and she'll go paddling. She's got an old town Sorrento. Um, so we'll go out, go up for a paddle. We do a lot of wreck paddles. We do a lot of river trip paddling where we'll we do river camping or we'll just do a day point A to point B with a shuttle and a, no fishing rods, no anything, just her, I, and some other friends in the kayaks on the water, just having a good time. You see, I couldn't do that. Like I, I, I can't just be on a kayak and not have a fishing rod. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I could, maybe I'll try it one day, but yeah, that definitely is something. I always have that, that excuse to get my skinny water kayak. I says, no, baby, it's for you. So we can do stuff together, <laughs> but it's actually going to be my skinny water kayak, you know, sure, <laughs> something that's easy to carry around and move um, and be able to get on like skinny waters. But that's pretty cool, man. It's uh, it's a passion that the outdoors in itself is a passion. And you obviously are enjoying it to the max. You're doing the hunting. You're doing the kayak fishing. What else do you love about the outdoors that that we haven't talked about yet as far as, you know, the sports of it? Too much. I, I have too <laughs> many hobbies. I really do. I mean, even if we just let's like, let's just talk fishing for a second. I kayak fish. I boat fish. I fly fish because I have the driftless area right by me. I have, I have amazing trout fishing and streams. Um, nice. And then like to break that down, we can go even farther. I don't just fish for bass. I'll walleye fish. I'll troll Lake Michigan for salmon in the kayak if it's not too rough because I now get seasick after a tournament. That's a whole another side story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I was with, we were out with the Great Lakes, Great Lakes and we launched in what was a small craft advisory. And I made it about an hour and a half, and I just started throwing up over the side of my Hobie at the time, my pro angler. And I, by the time I got back, I was done. I, I was just done. Really? Oh yeah, I laid on I laid on the grass at the marina for like an hour, and I finally got I'm like, all right, I'm feeling good. I, I, I paid for this tournament. I'm going back out. I made. I didn't even make it into the harbor, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Ever since then, that was the first time in my life I'd ever been seasick. I mean, I went sailing in Italy and we were in massive, we got one up in a storm with massive rollers in this um, sailboat. And I didn't have any issue with that, none. And that kayak just did me in. And now it doesn't take much in a kayak on Lake Michigan to get me sick now. I have to take meds to go out and I pick calm days. Like in spring, I would definitely get out for the harbors. Um, because I definitely want to chase more of these bad boys. I mean, like I was talking about trout on Lake Michigan. Look at that trout. I mean, so absolutely. Uh, that's in the harbor. That was that's jigging. a steelhead. Uh, nope, that's a brown. Oh, really? Wow, that's a big harbor brown. Um, so I really want to get in that. That's kind of where I try to start in spring. Um, now that Wisconsin has a, a year-round bass season as well, I'll probably try to get out for that early water bass bite too to because I've never really done that before because our season used to close like March 31st through the first Saturday in May. So you weren't able to ever really fish that cold water, op that cold open water period. So I'll, I'll probably give that a shot as well. Um, 
and then rolling into summer, it's 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 into camping season. I mean, I do a lot of camping, a lot a lot of camping with the, with we have a travel trailer, and we'll take both kayaks and we bring bikes with. I do a lot of mountain biking, single track mountain biking, gravel gravel riding as well. So nice. that's summer right there, and then some dog training thrown in on weeknights, um, weeknight bass Tur- league, like I talked about. Um, I'll probably do a couple kayak tournaments. There's, there's, I think there's one to two tournaments every month coming into Madison this year. Wow. On the Madison chain. So I learned the Madison chain quite a bit last year. I mean, I don't have like an abundance of confidence, but I hope I know it well enough to like at least have a decent showing in one or two of the tournaments. Yeah, that's going to be pretty cool. I love that you guys up there in Wisconsin have so much of the virus, you know, like, so many species you guys can target whereas in texas i feel like yeah we're blessed or spoiled you can say with huge bass and we can fish all year long because lakes are not going to get frozen here but it's really not that much other than bass i mean you can do carp which i don't like and i'm not interested in doing um sand bass yeah you can stripers definitely um hybrids of course but other than that, that's either catfish, which I'm not interested in catfish, or gar, which if you go for like a, one of those huge Texas gar, that would be the fight of your life. And I'm sure. interested in doing that, but <laughs> it's very limited. Like we don't have the whole walleye. We don't have the trout, the salmon. And that's one thing I envy about you guys over there. You know, I know the window for fishing may be smaller than it is down here in the south, but you got so much species you guys can target up there. Oh, yeah. I mean – you have you have your smallmouth bass and then you have largemouth bass. I mean, you don't really have much for smallmouth down there by you. Do you have any smallmouth fishing down by you? Yeah, we do. Um, they're not big. I think. Sure. Um, I think the state record is something like six pounds. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Which... Again, I'm not huge expert on smallmouth bass, but I'm not going to say that's even close to a national record. I don't think, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't know what no. it is, but I don't think so. I mean, no. I don't know if you caught on any of the tournament series got out of Door Count out of Door County up in Wisconsin. MLF was there and out of Sturgeon Bay, and I mean that's just a smallmouth factory. I fished that with Brian Schiller actually this past fall. He or late summer he came up and camped with us. So we went and kayak fished out there for smallies. I, I think 
Yeah, and, and again, I have to look at the state records as well, but I think it's it's got to be under 10 pounds. I don't think it's – I'm going to say eight at the most. I know nearest lake where I've seen smallmouth is Grapevine Lake, which is about 15 minutes from where I live, and I think the record was broken twice early last year, and I think it went from like five and a half pounds to six pounds. Up in Whitney Lake, um, there is smallmouth bass, um, but again, I think the record is like six or seven pounds, and I think it was somewhere in the mid or early 90s. I just looked up Wisconsin. Its record is holds tight from 1950 at nine pounds, one ounces for smallmouth bass. Wow. Yeah, I don't think we're anywhere close here. <laughs> and I was actually talking to, I think it was Ross Pinkerton. He caught a huge smallmouth bass. And he was telling me just it was hot hot summer day. By the time he got it reeled up to to the kayak, it 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 didn't make it. And it wasn't that he got hooked on the gills to swallow the hook. It's just he got so exhausted that as sure. much as he tried to revive him, didn't. So yeah, they don't they're they're there. And I've caught them on small creeks, which is kind of weird. Um, but yeah, they're nice though. They put up a fight, but we don't have those those big the big smallmouth bass that you guys have up, up there for sure. Now, I'm sure this is going to offend someone, and honestly, that's okay. <laughs> Don't. So it is what it is. <laughs> smallmouth bass is phenomenal eating. Oh my god, we gotta we gotta cut this short. I'm gonna have to edit this out. <laughs> but no, Man. seriously. I mean, I mean, I don't intentionally keep bass. I don't. I. I but. I've had a few that have died on me and smallmouth. That's right up there with walleye, especially if the water really? is cold. If the water is cold, it's a nice, firm, good fillet. I mean, it's happened on me when I've been fishing pretty deep in the Madison chain. They just, I couldn't get them to go back down. Even if I fizzed them, they just, they, they just for belly up. Um, and I haven't, I haven't kept many, maybe a handful were the ones that just wouldn't survive anyways. And all of them, thankfully, were above the size limit, so I was able to keep them and eat them. I'll yeah. be honest, they were good. I wouldn't specifically target them for food, but if the apocalypse happens, I know <laughs> well, yeah. fast and I can eat them. And I would <laughs> not me, go hungry. <laughs> yeah, if it's between going hungry and feeding my family, then, yeah, those greenies are going into the pan. Now, I don't – you know what it is like – I don't hate people that – or I don't hate the fact that some people eat smallmouth bass or largemouth bass here in Texas or Guadalupe bass, which is – that one is like a real no-no just because they're rare. They're, I think, you know, it's, it's pretty much a spotted bass, kind of like a strain of a spotted bass. It's called okay. Guadalupe, and they're mostly in the Guadalupe River. But I know it's like a big no-no here. Um, and some people do. I wouldn't post pictures of it. I I have a hard time just accepting. Like, I love those fish so much. Like, I love targeting them. Like, I, I, I can't see myself eating them. Like, I'm not going to say that people that do are wrong or they should burn in hell, like some people would say. <laughs> but I just, I just have a love for this fish, and I can't explain that. I just can't do it. Like, to me, once I set the hook on it, I want to be as... I don't, I, I don't want – this is to the point. If I have a chance to break my personal bee and I know that reeling him in is going to cost his life, 
I'd rather not catch it than catch a personal B and die on my watch. That's how much I love him. Like, yes, I'm going for my personal B, but I, it would stain my memory if I catch a personal best and he doesn't make it, he or she doesn't make it. You know, the bass doesn't make it. I, I can't, I don't know, man. I just love those fish so much. But again, I don't hate anybody that that wants to eat them. They're there, you know, they're there if you want to eat them. It's, as long as you're doing legally and responsible right. and adhering exactly. to the laws of how you can catch them and how much you can uh, bring home every time, then I'm fine with it. You know, I personally just can't see myself doing it, but in the, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. And I don't think in people's shoe go on social media and just blast people that post pictures. Oh, I'm sure it. someone's going to blast this podcast now because I said <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm going to lose a lot I mean, of followers. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, man. I just ruined the show. <laughs> All right, cut, take. We're doing it again. Start over. What's the no, podcast it's, again? <laughs> it's good to talk about, but yeah, man, it's just uh, difference of opinions. And I, I think, you know, little like respect. Like I said, I don't target them specifically yeah. to eat them, but I have had a few that were going to die on me and I'm like, might as well eat them rather than let other fish eat them. Segue into that. I wanted to give out a bunch of like, you know, like, I don't know, 10, 15 quirky questions. So my audience and hopefully your audience in the future kind of get to know you a little bit. So you ready? I'm ready. Let's let's do this. Okay. So first question, what is the weirdest thing you have seen in someone else's home? Oh. Boy, weirdest thing I've seen in someone else's home. Like, what kind of question is this? I, I know. No, I tell you, I have no idea. Like, weirdest thing I've ever seen in someone's home. If you've gone to Brian Schiller's home, I'm sure you've seen. I have not been into that dungeon. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen weird <laughs> stuff over there. <laughs> Boy, you got me stumped. Like, I can't really picture anything off. Oh, take that back. We just rented an Airbnb, and there's this really weird stuffed albino squirrel giving the middle finger. There you go. That's pretty cool. That like <laughs> we both looked at it. And I mean, the taxidermy on this thing was terrible. And we're like, wait a minute, is it like flipping you off? And sure enough, it had both fingers up. <laughs> An albino square. An albino squirrel. Yep. Oh man, it had to be albino. That's funny. Um, if you let me see, what is your slogan or jingle that got stuck in your head forever? I'm a big kid now. Which one is that one? I'm a big kid now. Is that the Toys R Us? I don't know if it's a Toys R Us or like a diapers commercial, to be honest. It might it might have been pull-ups. It might have been the pull-ups commercial. But I used to I used to say that line all the time to a coworker. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So since you're a hunter and a kayak fisherman and an outdoors guy, what Guinness World Record would you like to break in the future? Uh, oh, that's interesting. Guinness record in the future. Hunting or fishing? That's where you got to That's what I'm trying to determine right now. Hunting or fishing? There's something that I've kind of gotten into fishing, but I've just started to tread water in that. So let's go with the largest muskie and a fly rod from a kayak. Wow. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. You happen to know what the world record is right now? Right no chance? idea. No idea. I fly six. I think Wisconsin's record is sixty something inches. Sixty something inches on the muskie. On the muskie and fly fishing. Uh, that's on all tackle. I don't know what the largest fly fishing record is off the top of my head, but I've just I've chased them once with a fly rod. I have a, I have a friend that does it quite a bit out of a new canoe frontier twelve. So 
I've kind of made it a goal where I got to do this a little more. I got to I got to try to first hook into one of these things. So if I'm going to go after a Guinness record, let's do that. Let's just get the biggest muskie on a fly rod from a kayak. I'll be cool. All right. If you can talk to one species of animal, what would it be? My dog. There's no talk in my mouth. No talk in my mind. Speaking of with, I got mine over here, which is not trained. It's trying to photobomb. <laughs> I have to edit. Are you going to ruin my podcast, baby? Are you going to say hi to Brad? Bring some cuteness to the podcast. Here you go. For so those that are watching on YouTube, I got Nova here who's trying to, you know, probably tell me she wants to treat or something. But let me let me let her okay. out real quick. And we're back. Usually she just hangs around at the bed behind me, but obviously she wants to go back to mommy. <laughs> cool. So she's gonna, go get a, she's gonna go get a treat, a snack. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Absolutely. So we left off. If you can talk to one. Oh, you said that the dog. Oh yeah, that absolutely. One, yeah. No question in my mind. If I could have full on communication with my dog, so I can be like, "What's your problem?" And be, she can just be like, "I'm cranky tonight," and I can just be like, "Stop it," and get into an argument. Then I'll, then I'm actually gonna get into arguments with my dog. I already see how this is gonna go. It's gonna be perfect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well. I'm going to open up here uh, a rabbit hole, but it's like, I guess, you know, if it's like, yeah, well, I'm going to say it, but I'm going to get into trouble here. But like, you know, when you love your wife, but sometimes you're like, and I love my dog. She won't, she won't talk back. Now, if you let your dog, you will get your dog and she gives your opinion. Maybe she's like your wife. Maybe she's going to be like, I want to talk about my feelings. And I know it's Super Bowl <laughs> Sunday. But a lot of got a lot of stuff that I want to get out, and you're gonna be like, God, I wish. I heard, a, I heard a joke a while back at the hunting club that's always stuck with me. And it's if you lock your wife and your dog in the trunk of a car for an hour, which one's gonna be happy to see you when you open the open it? <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's see. Um What's I'm sure it has happened, but so either hunting or fishing, what's been the how the heck did this happen moment? Oh, that was duck hunting in Horicon Marsh. Oh, uh, yeah? We went that Horicon Marsh for those who don't know, if I remember correctly, it's the largest freshwater marsh in North America. It's a big, it's a big marsh. Um we went out there Black Friday and it was cold. When I mean it was cold, it was like negative seven or eight when we started, when we left at the launch in the morning. Um, I was running a 15-foot mud boat at the time with a modded out 25-horse uh, mud buddy long tail with like 30-horsepower head, the 30-horsepower double barrel carb, custom exhaust. It, it almost sounded like a Harley, so it had big chrome pipes on it. Um, and I fired it up, and it was so cold. It was like just shooting flames out of the exhaust. It was like pop, 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 pop. So anyways... Um, we cruise down the rock river and get to the first bay. Can't remember the name of the bay anymore, but instantly hit a sheet of ice. I, ice. I'm like, well, this isn't good. So we motored through the ice and broke ice for, I don't know, half a mile, three quarters of a mile. And finally we're like, it's all locked up. Like the whole marsh locked up overnight. So I did, did a bunch of circles, spun the ice out of the way. We set our decoys. We hunkered down. We saw one other boat go past us. We sat there for, oh, I don't know, two hours until we were just like, we saw one flock of birds and that was it. We're like, all right, it's time to go. So we start packing up and all the decoys froze in the water. So one of the guys I was with, there was three of us. He's beating them out with one of my oars. 
because I kept oars with just in case, because I don't know who would paddle that boat back. But, you know, I had oars just in case. Yeah, you never um, know. So he's beating the decoys out of the ice, just beating them. And we finally get everything loaded up. And I start to motor back to the ramp, and I can't get the boat on plane. Like the, like the motor's just, and the boat's going nowhere. I'm like, what is going on? And that little set of panic starts to come in. I'm like, it's cold. Cell phones don't work out here. And we ain't going to last real long if we don't get back. Like there was that little bit of panic where I'm like, we got to get back. And finally I hit a curve in the river, which was just enough to skip the boat up on the plane. And we were fine. We got all the way back, got back to the launch. We put the boat on the trailer and I pull it out and I just hear the axle just go like, what is going on? There was almost half an inch of ice all the way around my boat. The boat was freezing into the water. Oh my! And God. from sitting there with the boat rocking and splashing, there was this huge, wide—I don't know, maybe two, two inches wide—I was like half inch thick just sheet of ice all the way around the boat. The boat just weighed so much I couldn't get it on plane. Oh my god! So that was kind of like, how the heck did we get here? Moment, like, what just <laughs> happened? Like, what did we just do? Like, what were we thinking? Like. I had no safety. Like, I mean, sure, we had safety equipment in the way of life jackets, but I have way more safety equipment on my kayak now. I mean, I use a marine handheld radio. I have flares. I have all the stuff to fish Lake Michigan legally. I didn't have any of that for that marsh. I'm like, yeah, whatever. We're going to go out there. We're going to shoot some ducks, and we're going to have fun. Never once thinking the fact, like, it's zero degrees outside. I mean, we're going to be cuddling each other for heat if, if I can't get this motor started. <laughs> That's crazy, man. That is definitely a what the heck is going on here moment. Man. All right. So final question, um, either for hunting or fishing. If you can have somebody join you for either hunting or fishing, not somebody that's readily available, like somebody out there, whether it's somebody that's not here with us anymore or somebody that's you know famous, who would you go hunting or fishing with? I'd go hunting with when my dad. Yeah, that's what I figured you say. I mean, absolutely, because uh, he never got to go hunting with me. Now, I don't know if he would actually hunt, though, because like, he wasn't a hunter. So I don't even know if he would go. He might go just to experience it through me and see my passion for it, to, like, watch the dog work the work the woods and things like that just to see my passion. But I don't know if that's ever something he would have picked up. I feel like if he would have wanted to pick it up, he would have done it. So let's roll it back another generation. And I only met my grandfather on my mom's side a couple of times before he passed. I was really young. I have just a few faint memories of him, but I was told he was quite the rabbit hunter back in the day and he had beagles. And I wouldn't mind cool. going, I, and I've never done the rabbit with the beagles. That's, I've never had a, I never, I've never met anybody that ran beagles. So that's something I would actually really like to try once. So yeah, I guess that might be it with the fact that, yes, I'd love to go with my dad, but the fact that he might not hunt, I would really love to go join my grandfather by, behind his beagles to go hunt rabbits. Be like the aristocrats up in there in New England. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool, man. Well, Brad, thank you so much for joining us. I know we talked yep. almost an hour, so I'm going to wrap it up. But before I let you go, um, if you want to take a chance to thank anybody that you want to thank, whether it's family or sponsors, companies, anybody, anybody out there you want to thank, 
to making your life and your kayak and hunting experience better. Go ahead. Well, I got to thank my wife for putting up with my craziness. I mean, she come fall. I mean, by the end of fall, it's she's ready to have some me time again because I pretty much spend all of it fishing or fishing, hunting. I mean, because I only get 60 days a year to chase birds. That's it. That's all the duck season is in Wisconsin, 60 days. And grouse season seems to take go by even quicker than that. So every extra vacation day, every moment. So I really have to thank my wife. Um, I got to thank Brian and everyone at Paddle and Finn for giving me the opportunity to have this podcast and try out my own segment. Um, I'm really excited to see where this goes. I've met a lot of good people in the industry through different kayak shows. So I'm curious to see what happens on the hunting side. If I get the same type of respect and love right off the bat, or if it's like just another podcast guy. So I'm curious to know where that's going to go. Um, other than that, I think that's about it. Oh, small craft outfitters, uh, Tyler Thide, great guy up in Wisconsin. I mean, he's been great for me too. I mean, he put me on his fishing team back when nobody even knew my name. So small craft outfitters for sure. And, uh, might as well think new canoe. I mean, uh, that's the most versatile kayak I've been in. They definitely deserve a shout out because that's the first kayak I've ever had that can keep up with me. And that's from fishing to hunting. I can strip her down, throw that mud motor on there and attack marshes. I mean, for duck hunting, I mean, I got to think new canoe as well for just making such a versatile boat. Yeah, definitely. New canoe has really found a niche in the industry, both for hunting and kayak fishing. Great stuff. So for those out there listening, thank you again for tuning in. If you made it this far, just remember, take your necessary precautions to be safe and sound in the water. Make sure you make it back home to your loved ones. Have a great day. Have a great week. Tight lines. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N, in fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at Paddle and Finn. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N, in fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paddle and Finn on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. For even more content, be sure to watch the original films from HuntStand Presents on the Waypoint TV channel every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Visit waypointtv.com to learn more. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.